I want you to open your Bibles, please, to Revelation chapter 3. It's the last book in the book. The book of Revelation chapter 3. And as you turn there, let me explain these five chairs. Everybody this morning is sitting in one of five chairs. I say you are sitting in one of five chairs. You may be in chair number one. Chair number one is for somebody who's never made a commitment to Christ. He's never become a Christian. But he's in a safe relationship with God. The two-year-old boy, the three-year-old girl, the babies in the audience, they're not saved because they've never been lost. They're in a safe relationship with the Savior. Not able to understand the difference in right and wrong, darkness and light, good and evil. Not able to understand the statement that I'm about to make to you right now. Jesus Christ is Lord. He's God. He's the Son of the living God. Not able to understand that. Never made a commitment to Christ, but safe in the arms of Jesus. And they're sitting right here in chair number one. You may be in chair number two. Right here. Put it right here. Chair number two is for somebody who's never become a Christian. He's never made a commitment to the Lord. And he is able to understand the statement that I'm about to make to you right now. Jesus is Lord. He's God. He's the Son of the living God. He's able to understand what Jesus taught in John chapter 3. You've got to be born again. You must be born again. He's able to understand what Jesus taught in Mark 16, 16. Anybody that believes and is baptized shall be saved. But He has chosen not to obey God. He's never been baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Well, maybe He's gone through a form of baptism. Maybe water was sprinkled upon him. Maybe water was poured on his body. Maybe he was even immersed in water. But for reasons other than faith in Christ, peer pressure, his mother made him to join a particular religious group. For reasons other than faith in Christ, he's never been baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And he's sitting right here in chair number two. Now that leaves the rest of us, those of us who are baptized believers, in one of these three chairs. And I am curious, how many baptized believers do we have in this audience? If you believe in Christ and you have put on Jesus in baptism, be, be proud of it. Look around, folks. That's most of us, right? Right? 80, 85% of us. And we're sitting in one of these three chairs. You may be in chair number three. Chair number three is for somebody who's a Christian, a baptized believer. And he's not perfect. Nobody's perfect. He doesn't cross every T. He doesn't dot every I. But more than anything in the world, he wants to please God. You know anybody like that? More than anything in the world, he wants to go to heaven. And when it comes to Jesus Christ, he is Mr. Excitement. 
He loves singing about Jesus. He loves talking about Jesus. He loves telling his neighbors and friends about Jesus. As Paul said in Romans 12 verse 11, he's fervent in spirit. He's just boiling with enthusiasm. And everybody knows, people at work, people at school, people in the home, people in the community, everybody knows this guy is the real deal. He's serious about Jesus. He wants to go to heaven. He's walking in the light. He's on fire for the Lord and he's sitting right here in chair number three. You say, Brother Keith, that's not me. I'm not exactly Mr. Hot on Fire. Maybe you're on the other end of the spectrum. Maybe you're sitting in chair number four. Chair number four is for somebody who's a Christian, a baptized believer. And spiritually he's cold and spiritually he's dead. Let me ask you a question, be honest. Do you know anybody who's cold and dead spiritually? Maybe you're cold and dead spiritually. Over the years, you did not intend for your relationship with Jesus to get like this. But let's just be honest. You've, uh, something has happened and you've fallen out of love with the Lord. You very seldom come to church on Sunday night or Wednesday night. In all likelihood, you will not be back tomorrow night or Tuesday night. And when you do come, you kind of slip in and you slump down and you slip out. And if you see the preacher, you might say, hey, nice sermon. But you know there's something that's missing in your relationship with the Lord. Down deep, you know that you're out of touch. And down deep, you know you need revival because you're cold and you're dead spiritually. You're a Christian, but you've fallen out of love with the Lord. And you're sitting in chair number four. You say, Brother Keith, that's not me either. I'm not exactly Mr. Hot on Fire, but neither am I like ice. Where do I sit? Take your time. Right here. You may be in chair number five. Chair number five is for somebody who's a Christian, a baptized believer. And he's not in chair number three, he's not alive. He's not in chair number four, he's not dead. He's not in chair number three, he's not hot. He's not in chair number four, he's not cold. He's somewhere in between. I mean, on a scale of one to ten, he's a four, maybe a five, a six spiritually. I mean, he comes to church some, and he prays some, and he gives a little, but he's just kind of, uh, what would you say, on the fence, in between. Jesus called it lukewarm. He's a Christian, a baptized believer, but he's just kind of lukewarm. Let me ask you a question. Where do you sit today? Which chair are you sitting in? Are you, are you sitting right here in chair number one? Not able to understand the difference in right and wrong, darkness and light? Safe in the arms of Christ? Or maybe you're sitting right here in chair number two. You've chosen not to obey God. You're not a Christian. You've never been baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Or maybe you're sitting right here in chair number three. Uh, you're a Christian, a baptized believer. Down deep, you love God with everything you have, your soul, your heart, your life. He's your everything. Or maybe, I have a feeling, maybe some of us are in chair number four. Spiritually, we're cold and spiritually, we're dead. And maybe just a few of us are sitting over here in chair number five. 
We're not hot. We're not cold. We're just kind of uh, just kind of average on the fence in between. Lukewarm. Where do you sit today? I mean, if I were to call your name and ask you to come down this aisle and sit in the chair that best describes you and Jesus, honestly, which chair would you sit in? Well, that's the question we're going to focus in on for a few minutes in today's study. Now, you have your Bibles open to the book of Revelation, right? Did I tell you the chapter? Revelation chapter 3. I want you to listen to what Jesus says to His people, His church, at Laodicea. Revelation 3, look to verse 14. Jesus says to the angel and the messenger of the church of the Laodiceans, write, and then Jesus identifies Himself. These things set the Amen the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Let me just pause right here to say that when Jesus identifies Himself as the beginning of the creation, folks, He's not saying, hey, I was the first one created. Uh, Jesus was not created, was He? He's always been just like the Father is eternal and the Holy Spirit is eternal. Well, Jesus, our Lord, is from everlasting to everlasting. I remember some time ago I studied the Bible with a friend of mine and she said, Keith, I had no idea that Jesus existed before Bethlehem. I thought when the baby Jesus was born in the city of Bethlehem, that was the start, the beginning of Jesus Christ. And so we studied verses like John 1, starting in verse 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. And John 1, 14, and the Word became human flesh and lived among men. And we studied verses like John 8 and verse 58. Jesus said, you know, before Abraham was, I am. I existed even before Father Abraham. So when Jesus identifies Himself as the beginning of the creation, He's not saying, hey, I was the first one created. He's simply saying, I am creator. I'm the ruler of creation. Look down to verse 15. After Jesus identifies Himself, He says, now church... I know your works, I know your deeds, and I know that you're neither cold nor hot. I would, I wish that you were either cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich and increased with goods, (laughs) have need of nothing. And you do not know, you know not that you're wretched and you're miserable and you're poor and you're blind and you're naked. If I were to ask you the question, what is the greatest need of the church of Christ? What would you say? I mean, what would make this church, the new Antioch Church of Christ, a better church? Uh, Don't say better visiting preachers, okay? (laughs) What would make this church a better church? You might say, Brother Keith, I believe that the greatest need of the church is the need for love. We need more love in the church. And I would say, amen to that. We do need more love in the church. Jesus said in John 13, 34 and 35, and you command, I give it to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all people know that you're my people if you have love. You might say, Brother Keith, I believe that the greatest need of the church is the need for prayer. Uh, We need prayer soldiers and prayer warriors, and I would say, you're right. Uh, Boy, we do need more prayer in the church. Jesus taught, Luke 18, verse 1, that men ought always to pray. Don't you ever quit praying. Keep on praying. You might say, Keith, the greatest need of the church 
Hmm. Well, that has to be the need for evangelism. We need to get out here and knock on some doors, set up Bible studies. We need to talk to people about going to heaven, talk to people about Jesus. And I would say, my friend, you're right. We do need evangelism in the church. I mean, that's the great charge, the great commission. Mark 16, 15, go into all the world and preach the good news to everybody. And you know, we could just go on and on and on with need after need after need. Let me share with you folks what I believe is the greatest need in churches of Christ. As I travel all, all over America, and as I visit in about 45 to 50 different churches of Christ every year, in my judgment, this is just my opinion, okay? But in my judgment, the greatest need of the church is the need for... Well, Bill, we sang about it a few minutes ago. I didn't know that you were going to lead that song. What a great song. Do you remember what we sang? Hallelujah, thine the glory. Hallelujah, amen. Hallelujah, thine the glory. And then what did we sing, audience? Now, in my judgment, that's the greatest need among the people of God. I tell you what we need. We need a good old-fashioned, heaven-born, God-sent, spirit-filled, back to the Bible, revival. As the psalmist said in Psalm 85 and verse 6, Will you not revive us again, O God, that your people may rejoice in you? See, I think we've lost some joy in churches of Christ. I think we've lost some passion among the people of God. And sometimes we do church kind of like we do work. We clock in and we clock out. See you later. And in my judgment, the greatest need of the church is the need for revival. The church of Christ at Laodicea needed revival. They were not hot. They were not cold, they were lukewarm. Let me tell you about a revival that I preached in some time ago. I went up to Virginia to preach. You ever been to the state of Virginia? It's a beautiful state, met some wonderful people. But I drove over 600 miles to get there. The revival started on Sunday morning. It was to go through Wednesday night. Kind of like what we're doing here this week, right? Starting on Sunday morning, going through Wednesday night. Well, I start by preaching my very best sermons. It wasn't this one, it was another, another one. But I preached on Sunday morning, and I preached on Sunday night, and Monday night came, and guess what the people in the church in Virginia started talking about? They started talking about closing the revival early. Now it started on Sunday morning, it was to go through uh, Wednesday night, but Monday night came, and you know, we began to hear some talk like, you know, we're not doing a lot of good. Maybe we ought to just end this thing early. Well, Tuesday night came. Guess what they did? They closed the revival. They sent me home early. Bill, have you ever been sent home early? <laughs> I had never been sent home early in my life until I preached in that church. And they, they said, you know, we think we've had enough. You know, you can just, uh, we'll, we'll just quit tonight. Guess what they paid me to preach? I'll give you three guesses. The first two don't count. Nothing. Zero. Blank. Zilch. Now, I'm not fussing about it. I'm not complaining about it. In fact, I told them before I went on the phone, I told them, hey, you guys need a revival preacher? I said, sure. I'll be glad to come free of charge. And they thought that I was serious. <laughs> they took me up on it. Paid me nothing. Now, they were not mean people. They were not ugly. I mean, I marched back to the back, started shaking the folks out like I normally do. 
and nobody spit in my face, nobody stoned me, nobody slapped me. They were not mean and violent. They were just uh, indifferent, standoffish. Got a word. Lukewarm. They were lukewarm. Do me a favor. Would you, would you guys do me a favor? Love me or hate me. <laughs> but don't treat me lukewarm. Now I want you to love me. I like being loved, don't you? I mean, I like to march back to the back, start shaking the folks out, and I get excited when some of the young, beautiful ladies walk up and give me a big old hug. Now Sandra, my wife, gets excited when some of the young ladies walk up and give me a big old hug. And, 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 and you know, I like being loved. But if you can't love me, hate me. Don't treat me lukewarmly. You like lukewarm coffee? Yeah, most of us like it hot, don't we? We don't want it lukewarm. You like lukewarm? I don't like lukewarm coffee. You want to spit it out, right? And you know, the way that we feel about lukewarmness is kind of the way that Jesus feels about lukewarmness. Jesus says, church, you're not here. You're not hot. You're not there. You're not cold. You're over there. You're lukewarm. And because you're lukewarm, I want to what? He said, I want to... I want to spit you out of my mouth. Let me tell you about a preacher that I know. A preacher by the name of Brian. He's a preacher. In fact, he used to preach where my mother attends church. My mother lives about 45 miles from here. She attends a little country church around Huntsville. And Brian was her preacher. Well, some time ago, Brian went into Huntsville to get him something to eat. It was a fast food place. And... Uh, he ordered a hamburger, he sat down, he unwrapped it, he took a big old bite of it, and he began chewing. And chewing. And chewing, and, and, and the hamburger would not chew. He didn't know what to do. You know, people were there in the restaurant, he didn't want to embarrass himself, but he had to spit it out. And there in his hamburger, he found a Band-Aid. A used, bloody Band-Aid. Brian didn't know what to do. He walked up to the uh, counter. He asked for the manager. The manager came out. You know what the manager said? Well, sir, we're sorry. We'd be glad to fix you another one. <laughs> Brian said, oh, no, I don't want another one. I want my money back. And, of course, they gave him his money back. Well, a few days later, he began doing some research and, and making some phone calls, and he found out that the Band-Aid had come off the hand of a 60- or 65-year-old man that was working in that restaurant. The man admitted it. He said, yeah, I, I, I went to work. There was a Band-Aid on my hand, and I looked down. It was gone. Obviously, it got into the guy's hamburger. Now, I'm not going to tell you the name of the place, okay? But they used to have a commercial. Hold the lettuce, hold the pickles, hold the lettuce. Special order, don't you? Don't upset us. All we ask is that you let us serve it your way. And that's the way that Brad wanted it. He wanted it his way. Instead, he got it the older man's way, band-aid and all. Now, when I first heard that story, I responded like some of you. I thought, ugh, ugh, ooh. Brian, are you teasing? Keith, there was a, a band-aid and my hamburger. I thought, ugh. And I tell you, folks, that's the picture that I get in my mind when I read Revelation chapter 3. When Jesus looked at His people at Laodicea, it was kind of like eating food, eating a hamburger, and finding a used Band-Aid. Jesus said, Church, you're not here and you're not there. You're not hot and you're not cold. 
You're a little bit too cold to be hot. You're a little bit too hot to be cold. But you're not cold. You're not hot. You're lukewarm. And because you're lukewarm, I tell you what I want to do. I want to spit you. Maybe your Bible says I want to vomit you. Maybe your Bible says I want to spew you. Those are not pretty words, are they? I mean, folks, when you, when you start talking about spit, spew, vomit. See, the, these are not pretty words. And, and this is not a pretty scene here in Revelation chapter 3. You know what the members of the church were saying? Let me show you what they were saying. Look down to verse 17. Revelation 3 verse 17. Because you say, I'm rich. I'm increased with goods and have need of nothing. And Jesus said, church, you're wretched, you're miserable, you're poor, you're blind, and you're naked. You know what they were saying at Laodicea? Let me show you what they were saying. Hey, Chris, Chris, have you ever been to our church at Laodicea? You've ever heard our preacher preach? You've never heard our preacher preach? Have you heard our song leader? Oh, man. Our preacher's so dynamic. He's so good. And we've got a great song. You've got to come and sing with us at Laodicea. And they were kind of doing this. They were patting themselves on the back and they were saying, Hey, look at us. We're rich. We're increased with good. We don't need a thing. And Jesus said, Church, you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. At Laodicea, they were saying, We're rich. And Jesus said, Rich. You are P-O-O-R. You're poor. And Laodicea, they were saying, we can see spiritually our eyes are open. And Jesus said, church, you are B-L-I-N-D. You're blind. At Laodicea, they were saying, man, we're marching for the Master. We're committed to the Lord. We're faithful Christians. I mean, we're, 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 we're in the Lord's army. And Jesus said, in the Lord's army? Are you serious? Church, you're not hot, you're not cold, you're lukewarm. And because you're lukewarm, I tell you what I want to do, I want to... Now folks, folks, I didn't come to condemn, and I didn't come to blast. This is Family and Friends Day, we're glad that you're here. But I did come to ask you a question, even to the family and friends that are with us this morning. And the question that I, that I came to ask is this one. Honestly, where do you sit today? Which chair are you sitting in? Let, let me just ask you like this. Is Christianity to you kind of like a coat that you take off when you go home today? Here's your Christianity. And you kind of pitch it aside. And you say, you know, you would never verbally say this, but down deep you're thinking, you know, church is over and I, I, I'm going to live like I want to the rest of the week. I mean, if I want to cuss, I'll cuss. If I want to cheat, I'll cheat. If I want to be unkind, I'll be unkind. You know, the rest of the week is mine. Now, I'll tell you what, when next Sunday comes, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll, I'll get my Christianity. I'll put it back on. I'll go to church. I'll be a Christian. I'll sing the songs and I'll, I'll, I'll do communion. I'll eat the bread. I'll, I'll drink the grape juice. I'll be a Christian at church. And Jesus says, Are you serious? Are you kidding? Honestly, where do you sit today? 
Which chair are you sitting in? May I show you where Jesus wants you? Let me show you where Jesus wants you, okay? He wants you right here. Right here. Right here. See, He wants you to be a, a Christian, a baptized believer. Uh, we have some people in this audience and you need to be baptized into Christ. I, I would say to you what Ananias said to Saul, why do you wait? Why do you wait? Get up. I would say to you, get up. Be baptized. Wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. So yes, Jesus wants us to be baptized believers. But listen to me, folks. Are you listening? He not only wants you to be a baptized believer, He wants your, uh, your very best. And when you sing, you sing from the heart. When you pray... You pray your best. And when you give, you don't just throw in your leftovers. You, you give your best. And at school and at work, I mean, wherever you are, 24-7, He wants your very best. In the language of Scripture, He wants you to be hot spiritually. May I tell you why we ought to give Him our best? Why do you think we ought to give Jesus our best? You know, don't you? He's given His best to us. God so loved the world. He gave His monogenes, His unique, only Son, John 3.16. God commendeth His love toward us in that while we were messed up people, sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5 verse 8. We love Him. Why do we love Him? We love Him, why? Because He first loved us, 1 John 4, 19. So we give Him our best because He's given His best to us. And let me illustrate what I'm talking about. Just give you an illustration of what I'm talking about. I want you to imagine, imagine if you will, that you're the daddy you're the parent, you're the mother of an eight-year-old kid. Everybody in this room, you have an eight-year-old son. I also want you to imagine that there's a virus, a sickness in our world. Two people have died. The amazing thing about this virus, it has never before been identified, never before been discovered. Maybe scientists and doctors are interested but, but it really doesn't mean much to you or, or to the rest of the world. But that virus for which there is no cure begins to spread. And deaths begin to multiply by the hundreds, yea, thousands. It spreads to Africa, to India, to the Middle East. And, and one night, our president, President Obama, comes across national TV. I mean, everything's interrupted. ABC, CBS... ESP and everything's interrupted because there's an announcement from the White House. And our president gets on national TV and he says, ladies and gentlemen, the borders of the United States are closed. And they will remain closed until this plague. He's calling it a plague. 
until this plague is under control. That night when you put your little boy to bed, Dad, he's saying, Daddy, Daddy, what's a plague? And your daughter, your little girl is asking, why, why can't they just cure these people? And that night when you go to sleep, before you go to sleep, you hug your mate just a little bit longer. And you pray just a little bit harder than normal. The next morning you get up, you turn on the TV, and the first news story on Good Morning America causes you to drop your coffee cup on the table. Because lying in a New York City hospital is a postal worker and is dying of this strange sickness for which there is no cure. You say, man, I, I, I'm going to stay put. I'm not going to go to work today because reports start coming in from all over America. California, Maine, Utah, Florida. I mean, that thing seems to be walking its way across our country, spreading like wildfire. Mayo Clinic is working around the clock. Doctors and scientists are working behind the scenes. But again, the news is there's no cure for this strange virus. The next day you get up, you flip on the local AM radio station. Finally, there's good news. A cure has been found, kind of overnight. A cure has been found. A vaccine is being made. And people all across our country are being tested to see who has the right blood type to make the serum to save the world. Two o'clock in the morning, there's a knock that comes to your door. You go to the door and you see a man standing there with a white coat on. He says, family, I want you to sign right here. Take your family down to the local church building. Your blood will be tested. Well, you gather your kids... They're crying. I mean, it's 2 o'clock in the morning, but you come down here to the new Antioch church, and when you pull up, you can't believe your eyes. You've never seen so many cars in the parking lot because neighbors and friends from all over the community have gathered at this church building to have their blood tested. Well, you get out of a car. You wait in a very long line. They finally prick your finger. They test your blood. And a few minutes later, a doctor runs out of the church building into the parking lot where everybody's waiting, and he screams a name. I'm sorry, sir, I, I did not understand stand you. What did you say? And he says it again, a name. And your boy, your eight-year-old kid, is tugging on your coat. It's your son, he's tugging on your coat. And he's saying, Daddy, Daddy, they're calling me, they're calling my name. And before you can say a word, they grab him by the hand and they start leading your boy into this church building. Wait a minute, sir, wait a minute, what's the deal? And this doctor looked at you and says, Oh, we, we had no idea it would be a kid. We've got to retest his blood. Uh, sir, ma'am, mom, dad, please, please let us retest it. And so they retest your kid's blood to see if it's clean. And doctors and nurses start hugging and crying. and People start laughing in hysteria because your son's blood is clean. And they can take his blood and make the medicine to save the world. But all of a sudden, a doctor walks up to you. He has a clipboard in his hand. You get it under light. You say, uh, sir, what's, what's the deal here? And this doctor says, we, we had no idea it would be a kid, an eight-year-old kid. He, he's so small. If we had any, if we had any clean blood, we would, we would have used it already. I, I'm sorry, sir, ma'am, mom, dad. We need it all. As a parent, could you sign that permission slip to give your boy away? Could you walk inside this church building and see your son sitting on the examination table 
and hear him say, Mom, Dad, what's wrong? What's up? Could you walk up to your boy, shake his hand, look him in the eyes and say, Son, you, 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 you know we would not let anything happen to you that just did not have to be. Son, you know we love you, don't you? And maybe as the nurses and doctors and technicians say, Mom, Dad, I'm sorry, we, we need to get going, we need to get started. Millions are waiting, millions are dying. As a parent, could you walk out of this church building and hear your boy say, Mom, Dad, don't leave. Mom, Dad, why are you leaving? Daddy! Daddy! Why have you forsaken me? And maybe a week later when down at the church they have a big old memorial service for your boy who gave his life for the world. Will you understand it when neighbors and friends say, I don't think I'll go because I'm just, uh, I'm just too tired. Or when people talk or chat or stare at their watches as your son is being remembered. I mean, as a parent, wouldn't you just want to stand up and say, Hey folks, this was my boy. This was my son. He gave his life for the world. And see, ladies and gentlemen, I can't help but believe that there's a God sitting up in heaven looking down upon us and He is saying, Hey, hey, look at the cross. Would you look at the cross? That's my boy. That's my son. This is dead serious. Folks, folks, Jesus, serious death means serious commitment to a serious church. And it's time that we stop playing church, going through the motions, and take Jesus to the lost and dying world. So I'm asking you today, have you been playing church? Have you been just going through the motions? Honestly, where do you sit today? Which chair are you sitting in? If I understand the Bible correctly, only two of these chairs, people, are going to heaven. Chair number one and chair number three. Chair number one, for the person who's never made a commitment to Christ. The person who's never been baptized into Christ. But who's not able to understand the difference in right and wrong, darkness and light, good and evil. The two-year-old boy, the three-year-old girl, the babies in the audience would be sitting right here. Chair number three, the baptized believer who's not perfect. Nobody's perfect. But he's walking in the light. He loves God with his heart, his soul, his strength, his mind. And he's giving the Lord his very, very best. So again, I ask you, where do you sit today? If I were to call your name, George, Sheila, Julie, Tom, if I were to call your name and ask you to walk down this aisle to the front and sit in the chair that best describes you and Jesus, be honest with me. Which chair would you choose? I want you to imagine you died last night. Last night you died. And in just a moment, your name's going to be called before Jesus in judgment. Are you comfortable with the chair in which you're sitting right now? Would you have to scream and cry for mercy? Would you have to say, Oh, 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 Jesus, please, please not judgment now. 
I, I mean, give me one more verse of an invitation song. One more plea from a preacher. I'll do what's right, Lord. And maybe Jesus extends a hand and says, mm, I loved you so, but now it's too late. Depart from me, you cursed, and everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Well, friend, you know as well as I do that the premise today is false. You did not die last night. You're very, you're very much alive. And you can change chairs by leaving your pew and coming to the front to do what's right. We have some people in this audience. You do need to be baptized. You've been over here. We have some baptized believers who really need to get serious about the Lord. You've been sitting in their own chair. Satan will do everything that he can to stop you. Satan wants you to stand and sing as if I'm okay, you're okay, everybody's okay. But Jesus died to call you. Will you surrender to the call? I don't know what you've been praying. May I tell you what I've been praying? I have been praying as we've seen the very first verse of this invitation song, the very first verse, that somebody in this audience would lead the way. I'm not sure if I've been praying for somebody over on this side or somebody over on this side. I, I'm not sure if I've been praying for a man or a woman or people who are sitting down at the front or people who are sitting back at the back. But I've been praying for one person as we sing the very first verse of this invitation song. One person to lead the way. It usually takes one person to respond. One person to break the ice. One person to come and say, I'm ready to become a Christian. I want to be baptized. One baptized believer to come and say, you know, I just need to be prayed for. Pray for me. I've been in the wrong chair. And you know, when one comes, usually there's another. And then another. And then another. And more and more and more. But it takes that one to break the ice. So I've been praying as we've seen the very first verse of this invitation song, that somebody in this audience will lead the way. Again, Satan does not want you to move. Satan wants you to stand and sing as if everybody's okay, but Jesus died to call you. Surrender to His call, would you? You've listened well, but now it's time to respond. Who's going to lead the way? I've been praying for you. God loves you. He wants your best. Sometimes I get out and I jog. I think that's how I broke my tendon. All of these years of walking and jogging. You know the hardest thing about that mile jog or that two mile jog or that three mile jog? I tell you, the very hardest thing is the very first step. Once I get my clothes on, take that first step, it's kind of downhill from then on. You know the hardest thing about walking down a church aisle? I tell you, the hardest thing about coming forward in church, the very first step. But once you take that first step, it's kind of downhill from then on. So who's going to lead the way? We will find out as together we stand and sing. Would you come? Come right now.